Evening. First Peter chapter five. We're going to be taking our thoughts this evening. First Peter chapter five, focusing mainly on verses one through four. We'll continue our thoughts about church leadership this evening, and so we'll make our way uh, there. Please remember, from uh, this morning, we focused on uh, at least in the beginning, uh, we focused on the three primary terms, words for church leadership, one being the shepherd, the other being elder, and the other being overseer or leader. And so we focus mainly this morning on the different ministries involved in shepherding God's flock. We will notice some words this evening associated with leading God's people, leading God's people. 1 Peter 5. As we turn toward 1 Peter 5, if you drop off about 1 Peter 2 and verses 9 and 10, you notice that God's people are indeed called God's people. They're called a flock. We mentioned that this morning. But they're also simply called God's people. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, Peter refers to us as the older versions have a peculiar people or a people for God's own possession, that we should proclaim the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light, who were once not a people, but now we're the people of God, who once we had not obtained mercy, but now we have obtained, obtained mercy. So going from there over to 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to talk about Leading God's people. We'll notice several words together, so please work uh, with me this evening. Several words. All of them will be starting with the letter E. The letter E. Notice in 1 Peter 5, verse 1, the first word is this, exhort. Peter says, I who also am an elder, I exhort you elders. I exhort. So the first word is exhort, which you know means to strongly encourage someone toward a particular thought or mindset or action. Okay, I strongly encourage you, you elders. All of us need encouragement. So I just want to start right there. Even our, our overseers, our shepherds uh, need, need encouragement. Anyone who is walking on this earth so sin sick is this world that we get discouraged sometimes. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11, Paul instructs, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11, Paul instructs to exhort one another constantly and build one another up even as you were doing. Even though they were doing it there in Thessalonica, he encouraged them to keep on doing it. Now, way back in Psalm 142 in verse 4, there's an interesting, kind of a sad verse, but important for us to look at. Psalm 142 in verse 4, the writer is saying, when you look to the right or if you look to the left, what do you see? He says, there's, there's, uh, there's no refuge for me. There's no, no one taking notice of me. And he says, no one cared for my soul. A lot of people in the world like that. They don't feel like anyone's noticing them. They don't feel like anyone really 
cares for them. It doesn't seem like there's any refuge for them. And so the Lord charges us with this mission of exhortation to encourage, strongly encourage. All of us need this. In Hebrews 12, verse 12, notice over there in Hebrews 12, verse 12, the inspired writer says, So therefore lift up the hands that are drooping and strengthen the weakened knees. Make straight paths. Don't let anything go out of joint and strengthen yourself so you can be, you can be healed. You can be healed. We know how to keep straight paths. If we, if we stay with the word of God, then we can, we can keep the paths straight. The, road's narrow, the road is narrow. We can keep our paths straight by sticking to the word of God. That will help our drooping hands. It will help our weakened knees. But notice how verse 12, Hebrews 12, verse 12 starts. It says, therefore. In other words, he just said something that leads up to that thought. If you go back to verses 5 through uh, 11 of Hebrews 12, you notice that he's just been talking about the discipline, the discipline of the Lord. Okay. How that when we look properly at God, that sometimes God will discipline us, that the things which seem bad to us uh, at first glance can oftentimes be in the Lord working upon us because God through his providence, sometimes through the teaching of his word, sometimes through his providence, things will come up in life that seem bad to us, but actually there are means of strengthening us and making us more diligent toward God. Okay. In other words, sometimes what looks to us to be a setback can oftentimes actually be a comeback uh, with the Lord. And we need to bear that in mind as Peter uses this word, exhort one another. And to you elders and to all of you members, I, I exhort, I exhort. Sometimes we need somebody to tell us that it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And we really need uh, this ministry of exhorting uh, among our members, among um, our leaders, and in our hearts all the time. So Peter's first word here is exhort, exhort. The second word is the word elders, elders. He says, I also am a fellow elder with you and I exhort the elders that are among you that they will shepherd of the flock. So notice the word elders, elders together. And of course, first notice that it is plural. It is plural, not just elder, but elders with an S. And Peter himself said he was a fellow elder. How did they ever begin to try to elevate Peter above the other apostles? How did they ever begin to even elevate Peter above the other servants or the other elders of the church? Nothing doing in Peter's mind. He's a fellow servant. He's a fellow elder. Okay. But of course we learn from this that in God's sight, in God's mind, there cannot be an elder by himself, okay? There can never be a one-man rule at all. And this is set forth by God. Anytime you see the eldership mentioned, it's always in the plurality. It's always more than one. Acts 14, 23 is a reference. We also referenced this morning, Philippians 1, verse 1, that there were elders, plural, at Philippi. 
and there were elders uh, among Peter's audience, and so it's always to be that way. Now, in the practical sense, we hear of and we see groups, religious groups and congregations operating off of a one-man rule, okay? And these one-man rule uh, groups, they will raise money, they will read scripture, they will do some good works, but it is not of God. It is not of God. It is not pleasing to God. Our number one uh, priority in life is to be pleasing unto God. There's a lot of religious things in this old world but there's a lot of that not of God. Now, the word elders here can also not just denote a plurality, but also it denotes wisdom, or at least ideally, it should promote um, and denote wisdom. Wisdom, that's one of the reasons God wants aged men uh, to be appointed as leaders because hopefully by then there would be quite a bit of wisdom, but it's not always, always the case, is it? We read in Hebrews 5 verses 11 and 12 how that, that the apostle instructs some, they had become dull of hearing uh, to the point to where they needed someone to come and once again teach them the fundamental rudiments, the fundamental principles of the gospel of Christ. In fact, they could write at that moment they could only feed on milk and not a strong meat. Okay. In other words, spiritually they had gone back to kindergarten. Spiritually they were still in the first grade. Even though they were quite advanced in age, chronologically, still they were, they were still in grade school uh, spiritually. Okay. Now, and so it's not the case just because a man is older that he is fit for the leadership of God's uh, people. It's interesting to me in Matthew 16, 21, there are groups of men that Jesus mentions and he's predicting his own suffering and crucifixion and resurrection. So he mentions the groups of men that he, that's going to be carrying this out. He mentions the chief priest, he mentions the scribes, but he also mentions the elders, the elders. Obviously this was a group of older men who had been designated as some sort of leader in the Jewish communities of that day. But by their des designation here, you can see they're older men, but how ignorant they were to be involved in the crucifixion of Jesus, the very Son of God, to not be able to pick up on the scriptures that so clearly pointed to, to the Son of God, to Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, it was very ignorant. And so even though they were designated as elders, and older men still uh, did not have the wisdom uh, that they needed. Okay. And so we see, first of all, the word exhort, and then the word uh, elders. The third word, and this is just suggested here by the word elder, but the third word I want us to think about is the word experience. Experience. Because one of the reasons God designates as a leader an elder a man who is not a novice, not a newcomer, but a man uh, well experienced in spiritual work is because um, he wants that kind of wisdom involved uh, in his people, among his people. Okay. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 3 uh, is interesting, but before we get there, I want us to understand that when you think about experience, that history matters. History really does 
matter to God. Okay. Let's keep that in mind. History, spiritual history especially, matters to God. Okay. So notice in 1 Timothy 3 verse 10 that as Paul has been outlining the qualifications of elders and then he comes down to mention some qualifications of deacons, he stops in verse 10 and he says, let these first be proved. Okay. Or in other words, first let these be tested okay. and then let them serve. Okay. And I believe he's including there not only deacons but also elders uh, in that context. First let them be proved. Let them be tested. In other words, he doesn't want us to appoint men who, does not, who do not have the actual experience of carrying out the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and who do not have actual experience of carrying out the different ministries that we mentioned this morning. We mentioned you know, the ministry of feeding and we mentioned the ministry of, uh, the ministry of caring. We mentioned um, this morning the ministry of protecting and uh, the ministry of retrieving, the, the ministry of sacrifice. Okay. And so he's obviously saying there that you don't appoint a man unless he's already well established both in these qualifications and in at least to a certain degree in all these various uh, ministries as well. Let him first be proved. Okay? Let it be tested. In other words, let it be obvious that the man you're going to appoint is already well uh, on his way to being a leader. That's, that's the ideal uh, in, in Scripture. Okay? It's, it's not that uh, a man says, well, I think I'm qualified. Now, what would be the work that I'm going to do? Okay. That would let you know right away that he's not qualified. Okay. The qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, 1 Peter 5, they make the work, and the work makes the qualifications. In other words, if you're qualified, you're going to be doing the work. If you're doing the work, you're going to be qualified. The two come together to combine into a person who is now spiritually mature before Christ. See, history matters. It really does. Think about, again, uh, 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5, where Paul says uh, this man needs to be able to have, um, to have managed his household well uh, with, uh, with his children in submission, with a great deal of dignity and respect and gravity. Uh, for if he cannot manage his household well, then how can he take care of the church of God? See how that history, spiritual history, real spiritual history, it really does, does matter. Uh, look from there, uh, just as another instance of this spiritual history idea, look, look in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and notice with me, as, there, as Paul is discussing the support of certain widows in those days, notice the qualifications uh, mentioned there. 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 and 10. 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 and 10. Let a widow be enrolled if she, if, if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and, and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality, if she has washed the feet of the saints and has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work. You see the history there? 
See, history matters. Spiritual history matters uh, to God. And so when we think about experience, the first of all must be real spiritual history. And then secondly, when we think about experience, that spiritual history has got to be respected. It's got to be respected. Okay. Now most people in history, most people in our day are a lot like the Athenians. Well, who are the Athenians? The people of Athens. If you turn over to Acts 17, in verse 21, you remember about the Athenians. As Paul is, is speaking to them, trying to get the gospel out uh, to them. But the comment is made there about them in Acts, about them in Acts 17, 21, that they spent their time in nothing else but to hear and to tell something that was new, some new thing. They spent their time in nothing else but to hear and to tell some new thing. And we have become a society a lot like the Athenians. It's all about what's new. It's all about who's new. It's all about a new, a new insight. It's all about a new book. It's all about a new speaker. We've almost become obsessed like the Athenians if it's something new, if it's something different, if it is something not heard of, if it is something that sounds cool then that's for us because we need that. We can't survive without it. It is something new. Okay. Spending our time in nothing else but to hear to tell something new. And God is calling us back to the old paths. That's what he's doing. Okay. Today, it's not just about looking for something new. People don't just want new history today. They want bad history. They want it bad. Okay. Have you noticed that? They want somebody with bad history. You know, they want somebody who has taken a sort of a different route around to Jesus Christ. They want somebody who's been, who has gone through some difficult times and yet they're still standing. Okay. That's what our, our society gravitates toward, toward that. Some, something new. Something bad. Somebody who has seen some blood. Somebody who has spilt some blood. Somebody who has been down with some difficulties. Who maybe even done some bad things. But now they're rebounding from that. People just flock to hear them. Okay. But the fella who has just happened to pay attention to Scripture since he was just little. And happened not to go off track so very much. Didn't get... Didn't go down with the dirt, but tried to stay and tried to maintain and tried to stay faithful and has basically done that. To, to our society, that's just boring. He has nothing to say. He has nothing to tell. To God, spiritual history is important. Experience, spiritual experience is to be respected. And so I wanted us to see the word exhort, the word elders, the word experience. The next word is exercise. Exercise. First Timothy 5 verse 2 and 3 says elders are to exercise oversight. Take the oversight. Exercise oversight. Elders have oversight in matters of judgment. Matters of judgment. Okay. Not matters of doctrine or personal character, or structure of the church, or worship of the church, 
or the mission of the church, all that has already been ruled on. Okay, as we mentioned this morning, there's only one chief shepherd, and that is Jesus, 1 Peter 5 and, and verse 4. Jesus is called the great shepherd of the sheep, Hebrews 13, verse 20. There's only one real teacher, Matthew 23 and verse 8. And the Lord Jesus, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, He has already ruled on a number of things. So elders have the oversight, not over those doctrinal matters, but over matters of judgment. As we combine together our efforts to carry out the Great Commission, as we carry out the Great Commission, as we combine our efforts and we work toward the work and the worship of the Lord's church in a scriptural way, then elders lead us uh, uh, toward those ends. Okay. But they don't rule in matters of doctrine. As you know this, but it's something that we need uh, to review. They exercise oversight in matters of judgment. And they cooperate and they encourage cooperation toward that end. For example, we meet on the first day of the week, not because any elder has said so, not because of any preacher has said so, not because of any well-meaning woman who has said that. We meet first day of the week because the Bible says that, because the Lord has set down that rule and, and that character about us. That's a personal conscious decision that we make in obeying the Lord. It's not because of some man, but because the first day of the week was set aside by, by God. And as far as I'm concerned, personally, uh, if me and my family are able to uh, physically, ably, uh, to walk out of the house on the first day of the week, notwithstanding what anybody else has said or done, we're going to find the brethren somewhere and we're going to meet and commune with the Lord. What about you? Notwithstanding 2020, this is still how it is. And it's the way it will always be. First day of the week. One time, there was a little girl, sweet little girl, uh, several years ago, sweet little girl, and um, probably seven or eight years old. She wanted to be baptized. And one of the elders said, um, would you mind baptizing? I said, um, I'm just not going to do that. I, just, I said, that's just not uh, proper at all. That's, that, this, this is a sweet little girl. But she has no qualifications to be baptized. She, she, uh, we were around her. We talked to her. But there's, there was just, it was, wasn't even close. Okay? I wasn't, wasn't about to do that. Wasn't about to do that. That's my conscience. Okay, that's my conscience. And so that's the idea. The elders rule in matters of judgment to help us work toward carrying out the will of God. But they don't rule on, on doctrinal uh, things, as you very well know. And so exercising oversight. Now, before we leave the word exercise, there are three knots in OT. There are three knots. Not by constraint. Not for filthy lucre or personal gain, and not by domineering. Three important knots there. 
not by constraint. A person does not decide to become an elder because he's pressured into it or even because he's challenged uh, to do it. Okay? But he does it willingly and eagerly as our 1 Peter 5 uh, is telling us. Not even for the good of the church. Okay? I've, I've heard that many times over the years. Well, for the good of the church, he went ahead and decided uh, that he would do that. Well, that's, that's not good. Okay? That, that's not good. There are many things you can do uh, for the good of the church. There are a lot of roles uh, in the body of Christ. And if we read 1 Corinthians 12 properly and Ephesians 4, 16 properly, we see that every role that is taken builds up the body of Jesus and God counts that of highest value. Okay. And so there are a lot of different roles one can take to, to help the church and for the good of the church. You don't just... You don't take a position because you feel pressured or guilted, guilted uh, into assuming a role. That's what Peter is saying. Not by constraint. Not by constraint. Okay. Not by compulsion. Okay. Not, by, not because you're being pressured or you feel pressure in it. Okay. That's not what God wants. In fact, that shows a lack of trust in God. That somehow, if you don't go in there then somehow things are going to go out of control and God's not going to take care of His business. God is well able through us as we follow His will to take care of us and as we do His will. And then not for personal advantage, not for personal advantage. Someone might take a role in the church uh, in order to, uh, to help their family or to, in order to help their family be around uh, better people or maybe to help... Um, their business or their resume or whatever thoughts may come in, not for personal advantage and certainly not by lording it over, not in a domineering way. If you want to find something that's direct opposite of Jesus, then you seek to be domineering. That was, Jesus is meek and lowly in heart, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30 teaches us. He is meek and lowly uh, in heart. And so we don't Assume a position from some sense of ungodly control uh, or wanting to be in charge or wanting to set things uh, straight or wanting to uh, do things a certain way, but rather uh, we're seeking to be uh, servants of our Lord. Jesus taught so straightly against this domineering aspect in Matthew 20, 26 to 28. And uh, Peter must have been listening because he's basically repeating the same emphasis. But Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 20, 26 to 28, that, that the, the lords of the Gentiles, they love to lord it over. They love to have the authority over people. They seek to do that. In fact, that's some of their highest goals in life. But he said, it shall not be so among you. The greatest among you shall be your servant, even as... The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but rather to serve, to minister, and to give His life a ransom for many. The Lord supports basically two styles of leadership. The shepherd style and the servant style. Shepherd leadership, like we emphasized this morning, and servant leadership uh, that Jesus emphasizes there in Matthew 20. So we got the word uh, exhort and elders and got the word um, 
exercise here, experience and exercise. And he says, next word is going to be eyesight. Okay, this is just suggested here, but it's strongly suggested because uh, notice he says exercising oversight. So eyesight. Of course, of course, we're talking about spiritual eyes, but eyesight. So not only exercising, but the next word is eyesight. Eyesight. The word here uh, in the original language, I don't usually do this. I don't think it's useful, but I think you'll recognize this word. It's the word epi, E-P-I, and then the word scopos. Scopos. When we hear scopos, we might think of a scope. A gun has a, a scope. The idea here is that the prefix epi means around, and scopos means to look or to stare or to glare. So it's our duty then to, to look around, to look over, oversight, to, to overlook you. You've been to an overlook. Okay, you're looking, you're looking at things from, from a high standard. Okay, it's, an, it's an overlook idea. Okay. So eyesight, eyesight. And the Lord wants us to look at life, look at things the way he looks at life and things. For example, in John 4 and 35, Jesus told his disciples, lift up your eyes and look upon the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. Now they were very surprised that Jesus would be talking with a Samaritan first, a Samaritan woman secondly, right there in public. But Jesus is trying to teach them to look not at skin, but at the souls. Not at the skin, but at the souls. And so one who has oversight tries to look at life the way Jesus looks at life. Or as Paul mentions in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18, he says, while we look not at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen, they are eternal. And so that's what leaders of the church are trying to do, trying to get us uh, by both example and precept and teaching to get us to look differently, look like Jesus looks. Look, look for when you see a person, you're looking at a soul, a soul that may be lost. When, you, when you're looking at life, don't, don't focus on those things which are temporary. Focus on those things which are eternal. Don't, don't focus on the outward. Focus on the inward things of life. In Revelation, th uh, Revelation 3, verses 14 through 17, remember Jesus' letter to the church at Laodicea. And um, they were very self-sufficient. They were very self-sufficient. And... Um, they were saying to themselves, basically, we are rich and we have need of nothing. But their real spiritual condition, Jesus said, they were poor, blanket. They were poor, blind, naked, and miserable. And, and um, I don't know what else he said there. But poor, they were blind. They were poor, blind, naked, and miserable. Okay? They were looking at themselves because evidently they had some money. They were meeting as a congregation. They had some money. They were having some good times. They were having a lot of good fellowship. We're doing pretty good. And Jesus said, you're actually lukewarm. And you're blind. You're blind. And so, just to sum this up, when we look at a few of these verses, we see that if we're going to see like Jesus, we see souls. Okay. And we see those things which are eternal. And we see our need for God. The Laodiceans, they had lost their sight of their need for God. You see. So, we, we've got eyesight. 
eyesight. And so here, as Peter moves along verses 1 through 4, he says, now, take the oversight. Don't do it this way. Okay? Not by constraint, not for, not for personal advantage, not, certainly not by, by domineering, but the next word here is example. Example. So from eyesight to it, but by example. How do we lead? We lead by example. And this connects to our little uh, paragraph from a few minutes ago about experience. This all connects together. It overlaps uh, together, right? And so he's talking about example. And, and one's example with Christ can be very, very powerful. Okay. We use the word example a lot, but we don't need to forget that it can be very, very powerful. Jesus' example himself uh, is quite um, impactful upon us. Luke 2, 52 says that Jesus uh, grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. What a great example uh, he is. 1 Peter 2, 21, Jesus also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should walk and follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile ever found uh, in his mouth. Hebrews 4.15 says uh, he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And this example of Jesus strongly impacted the disciples. And you recall very clearly in Acts 4 and 13 that as the different Jewish leaders, they, would, they were looking at Peter and John, listening to them. They, they didn't know exactly why they were doing all they were doing, but they knew this. They knew Peter and John had been with Jesus. They knew that. Jesus had made a definite mark upon their lives. That's what God's calling for. That's the kind of leadership God is calling for. Is one that leads by example. Not by lording it over. Not by constraint. Not for personal gain. But humbly by example. By example. And that's why we have listed on our card in the back. And emphasizing these different traits in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, Acts chapter 20, John 10, all these chapters that deal with leading God's people and these different traits and qualities that come out, they all pertain to the example uh, that one sets. Okay, very powerful. And then after uh, the word uh, example, okay, I want us to think um, very carefully about the word um, eternity. Eternity. Are you right there at 1 Peter 5? <clears throat> Notice how Peter describes himself in verse 1. He says, I'm a fellow elder... I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ and I am a partaker of the glory which shall be revealed. Eternity. Now Peter had something that he was looking forward to. The glory which shall be revealed. Reminds me of Romans 8 verse 18 where Paul says, I reckon that the that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, 
He says, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Eternity. Eternity. And we're living for eternity. Everything that we do is for eternity. And what does Peter say here in verse, verse number 4? He says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Eternity. Eternity. I believe these words help us to see how to lead. We lead through encouragement. We lead through working with other elders and other ministers. We lead through uh, experience, spiritual experience. We lead through um, exercising, not contradicting doctrine or the rule of God, but rather in matters of judgment, we cooperate together, we work together for the good of the Lord's cause. We exercise. We have eyesight that sees what God sees. We seek to be the example God wants us to be. And we keep focused on what it's all about anyway. This eternal weight of glory. The glory which shall be revealed. If you want a further way of studying these verses, think about it this way. When you think about the leadership here, and think about Peter's words. You can think about the word plural because elders has an S to it. You can think about the word pastoral because he says shepherd the flock. You can think about the word spiritual because he says don't be like the world. Don't be trying to be domineering like the world. Don't seek personal advantage like the world. You think about the word spiritual. But then you can think about the word accountable. Because all of us, as verse 4 says, when the chief shepherd shall appear, well, when Jesus appears, we shall give an account of ourselves. As 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, of the things done in our bodies, with the time and energy and opportunities that God has given us in our bodies, we will give an account to the chief shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep. And so I hope that this has been helpful. There are three primary functions of church leaders. To shepherd the flock, to lead the people, and to counsel uh, the family. Perhaps next week we'll take a few minutes and look at God's emphasis on counseling uh, the family. This evening, as we get ready to close and sing this song, we are talking about some very important matters, but they're, they're important because of what the Lord has done. He has shed, our, shed his blood uh, for our redemption. He has given himself up uh, for his church. It means, it means so very much. It's the very heart of God. And it would uh, behoove us and it would um, move us to take a close look at our own lives uh, so that we can stand ready. To meet the Lord. We don't know when that's going to be, but let us be ready. If we can assist anyone with a spiritual need this evening, please make that known right now as we stand together, as we sing. Brother B.